Well, needless to say, I am just a little bit excited for this morning. These are undeniably my favorite Sundays of the year when a whole mess of people are going public with their faith through baptism. I'll let you know, I have to be really, really intentional on these Sundays to to make sure I don't talk 90 miles an hour. Now, some of you are thinking, you always talk 90 miles an hour. Okay, well, then I don't talk 120 miles an hour because I am so giddy for what comes right after this message. Stories of life change. It is why we do what we do around here. But if you're new around here, I just want to extend to you a very special welcome. Seriously, thank you so much for deciding to tune in. Whether it's your first time here, maybe you've been watching here for a little bit, we never take that for granted. Thanks for giving Grumlaw a shot. I'll also issue you a challenge. Uh, We really hope that you will come walking through the door soon of one of our physical locations, either in Grand Blanc or Heartland. And, And I don't say that to disparage what's happening online. In fact, we call online our third campus. We believe in what God is doing through technology through this online campus. But I'd also be lying to you if I told you that, hey, what you're getting online is every bit as good as what you're getting in person. It's just something so valuable that when you come together with other people who are also making those steps towards Jesus. So we definitely hope to see you soon in person. Now you're also catching us as our really, really great time is today we're kicking off a brand new five-part series titled, you guessed it, Chasing Carrots. Now, I'm going to peel the curtain back a little bit here and let y'all know where we're headed for the next five weeks. A a a lie that every single one of us get baited into is this idea that that our lives would suddenly be fulfilled. We'd find true satisfaction. We'd suddenly experience true contentment if we could just get that. If we could just get that. And I'm not totally sure how that happens to manifest itself in your life, but, but if you could just get that, you would experience a sort of earthly bliss. That raise, that house, that toy, that car, that following, that title, that position. If I could just get that, then I'd be good. Life would be perfect. I'd finally be content. But, but come on, some of you, you actually ended up getting that. And while it might have brought you some satisfaction for, for a moment, you eventually ended up right back at square one, unsatisfied, discontent, unfulfilled. So, so how do we deal with, well, that? But what we do as human beings is we conclude that we need more of that, more promotions and more raises and more toys and more house and more followers, more of that. But, but come on, Christian or not, <laughs> I'm not revealing anything new this morning. More of that doesn't satisfy long-term either, does it? So so that's where we're headed here for the next five weeks, talking about, as the subtitle of this series would say, this, this endless pursuit of more. And I don't usually reveal this at the beginning of a series, so maybe this morning I'm just kind of feeling generous, but specifically, we're going to be talking about the pursuit of the following, stuff, that this, our belongings, things we can buy, things we can purchase, money. In, in part three, we're going to be talking about perfectionism. If you're a perfectionist, that week is definitely going to speak to you. Approval, every single one of us, we crave that at some level. Uh, and then we're going to wrap the series up by talking about this pursuit of comfort. But today, as we kick off this series, we're going to be talking about this pursuit of fame. Th- this idea that I want to be known. I want to be liked. I want to be admired. I want to be followed. I want to be accepted. I want to be famous. And and I'm not just saying this for hyperbole, but I truly believe that this conversation surrounding fame is more relevant than it has ever been in the history of mankind. 
Because, let's be honest, it's just easier to pursue fame and become famous than it's ever been before. See, before the dawn of the internet and before social media, before digital technology in particular, the accessibility of fame was so much more difficult. If you wanted to be famous centuries earlier, you actually, listen to this, you actually had to do something or accomplish something worthy of said fame. You had to be an accomplished athlete, a talented actress, an inventor, go to the moon, you get the idea. But, but now, due in large part to the internet and only even further accelerated by social media, you, you can be famous just by creating semi-interesting content. Speaking of which, you know who this guy is right here? Anybody? Now, if you don't have children, you have no idea who this is. If you do have children, you know exactly who this is. This is good old Blippi. But Blippi is, is very famous. He, he's this YouTube star. And, and the reason he's famous is because he just kind of acts like a goofball and he apparently kind of engages in activities that four-year-old boys happen to be interested in. Now, what I'm about to show you, I am very, very embarrassed of. I'm just saying this on the front end. But this right here is actually my son Malachi dressed up as Blippi for Halloween. Again, as I look back at this picture, I'm like, what was I thinking as a parent allowing this to happen? He didn't go as Spider-Man. He didn't go as Superman. He didn't go as an adventure, not even a ghost, but he went to Halloween as Blippi. But by the way, Pee Wee Herman has to be so mad about Blippi's notoriety. You heard it here first. This guy Blippi is just the modern day Pee Wee Herman. He is Pee Wee Herman with the internet. You can become famous for, for opening surprise eggs in front of a camera. That's the thing. You can become famous for rubbing your face against bread. I promise you, there's this woman that has millions upon millions of views, and all she does is rub her face against bread. And then, here's the even crazier phenomenon, and I'm sure this hasn't gone unnoticed by some of you. You don't even have to be talented to become famous now. Take, for instance, this guy. Y- y'all remember him? Anybody? Takers? This is none other than the one, the only, William Hung. Now, now William Hung, interestingly enough, he's a terrible musician. He is an awful, awful, awful voice. He is literally horrible at singing, but, but yet he still became famous. Now, really funny story with this. I was literally out to eat a couple of weeks ago, and all of a sudden, as we're eating, this starts to play. And at first, I'll be honest, we didn't really even notice it, but but it just kept going like this. It's like, what is happening right now? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I think that this is a William Hung song. I think this is literally William Hung singing, I believe I can fly. And so I can't handle it. My wife and I were sitting at dinner and I call over our waitress and I'm like, are you guys, are you guys playing William Hung? And she went on to explain to us that in the restaurant, they have the TouchTunes app. Now, if you don't know what TouchTunes is, think of it as the modern day jukebox. Rather than going in and sliding in a quarter, you download the TouchTunes app and you play music through credits that you purchase on your credit card. You play music with those credit songs of your choosing. Well, you have to be in close proximity to that restaurant, preferably inside of the restaurant to be able to control that restaurant's music. But they went on to explain that there's a local who comes in there all the time who lives right across the street. And because he lives close enough, he from the comfort of his own home will just randomly play I Believe I Can Fly by William Hung, knowing that it is driving people like me and the wait staff absolutely bonkers. 
Fame has never been more accessible, and as a result, it's never been more desired. Listen to this. 10 to 12-year-olds, I did a little bit of research. 10 to 12-year-olds, their top desire in life is not financial security. That's probably no surprise to you. It's not to be rich. It's not success. It's not achievement. It's not to have a family. It's not even community. It's not even to have meaningful relationships. No, for 10 to 12-year-olds, their top desire, their number one goal is to be famous. Now, again, if you're sitting there, you might be going, well, 10 to 12-year-olds, they're not really that mature yet. That's not maybe that surprising. But how about this one? If you're watching right now, I just kind of want you to put your hand up if you fall between the ages of 22 and 37, okay? I'm I'm hoping you're actually participating. I happen to fall in that category, so I'll put my hand up. Listen to this. 50% of 22 to 37-year-olds, so not just a couple, half believe that their life should be made into a movie. Now listen, I, I know a good number of you that fall into that age bracket. Ain't nobody watching that movie. Now, again, I know what others of you are maybe thinking right now, especially if you're maybe just a little bit older and hopefully, I'm hoping at least a little bit wiser. You might be thinking to yourself right now, I don't care about being famous. So while the first five minutes of this message have maybe been mildly entertaining, that this is completely, it feels, irrelevant to you. And I would say to you, kind of sit tight there, Trick Daddy, because we all wrestle with this at some level. This might partially be true, what you're saying right here, because yes, it's true, you have no desire to become a YouTube star or a social media influencer, or you have no plans to become the next Pee Wee Herman. But, and I can almost guarantee, we all have what we will call here for the sake of this conversation, micro cravings for fame. See, we all want to be known. We all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be acknowledged. We all want to be appreciated. And and these micro cravings make appearances in our lives in far more subtle ways. Let me give you just a couple examples. Uh, It was just a couple of weeks ago uh, that my wife kind of went away for for a girl's weekend. And uh, so I was was left to fend for myself with all three of my children, five-year-old, four-year-old, and an almost two-year-old. And that first night that she left, I made the decision. I said, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have fun with the kids. I'm going to take all three of the kids out on the boat by myself, despite the fact that my wife had warned me, that's probably not a good idea. You're going to lose your mind out there because they're going to start going crazy. You're going to be lost basically out at sea. But I decided to do it anyway. I mean, I came prepared. I had lots of snacks. I had their waters. I had sunscreen. I had life jackets, like the whole deal. And believe it or not, it actually went really well. There were no meltdowns. I had a great evening with all three of my children out on this boat. Now, you better believe when I was out on that boat, I was, I was FaceTiming my wife and like, hey, look at me, check me out. Like, you see what I'm doing here? And, and then when she got home, I brought this up probably 50 times. I'm like, hey, how about the fact that I took all three kids out on the boat by myself? You know, I'm just kind of keep like hinting at this and, you know, keep bringing this up, hoping that she's just going to be like, you know what, honey, you are unbelievable. I mean, that is husband of the year material right there. I mean, you are just crushing it. But instead, she was looking at me like, you know, I, I do this every single day. It's called parenting, you loser. But, but, but come on, this ain't just me. We have this micro craving for fame that, that always wants to make sure we get the credit for what it is that we did. Maybe it manifests itself this way in your life. Uh, it, it comes in the form of overcommitting. You willingly commit to more than you know that you should because you don't want to let anyone down. And you have this deep need to be liked by everyone. So so you end up saying yes to stuff that you absolutely know that you should have said no to. Uh, Others of you, you're you're overly sensitive to criticism. I mean, literally a hundred different people could tell you that you did great, that you absolutely crushed it. But as soon as one person tells you something even semi-critical, you fall apart. 
It's one negative comment on Facebook. It sends you into a tailspin. It's that micro craving for fame because you want everyone to like you. You want everyone to accept you. So so let me say it again. Whether you want to be outright famous or, or whether it manifests itself more in these micro cravings, every single one of us, we want to be liked. We want to be followed. We want to be appreciated. We want to be known. We want to be admired. We want to be respected. This is something that plagues all of us. And additionally, even if you don't feel like, okay, that doesn't apply as much to me, as previously mentioned, I promise, I promise you it applies to the young people in your life whom you hold any level of influence over. Whether it's your own children, whether it's a niece, a nephew, whether it's students, kids right here at Grumlaw, young people are wrestling with this in an unprecedented way. Kids are living for approval and likes unlike anything that we have ever seen throughout the course of human history. Now, fortunately for us, as is usually the case, Scripture talks an awful lot about this. Now, by the way, if you're sitting here and you're just kind of new to to this whole church thing, new to this whole Jesus thing, the the, the Bible is not just some old book. That's not the case. The Bible is a timeless book. Because the Bible doesn't just teach us something that happened, it teaches us what always happens. It's predictive in this way. And it's why we can return to this timeless text for all of time, because its counsel on such issues as this, like fame, is timeless. See, see, we get trapped into thinking that we have progressed so much as human beings. And in some cases, that's absolutely true. Technology probably being the most glaring example. But but as far as human nature goes, go ahead and pick up a Bible for yourself. We are still stuck in the exact same ruts, that the same sins and the same temptations that burdened people 2,000 years ago are still every bit as prevalent today, including this topic that we're exploring this morning, the desire to be liked, appreciated, known, admired, fame. Now, it's also worth noting that Scripture does not exclusively speak about fame in a negative light. It is not inherently wrong to be famous. It's often what takes place as a result of that fame, or as we're going to explore in a minute here, the pursuit of that fame that makes it so dangerous. Let me give you just a couple of quick examples here, the first of which being this guy who went by the name of David. This is the guy who took down Goliath. In 1 Chronicles chapter 14, it says this, So David did what God commanded, and they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So, as a result of him being obedient, David being obedient, doing what God commanded, David's fame spread everywhere, and the Lord caused all the nations to fear David. David was faithful. David listened when God spoke, and as a result, God actually allowed, God made David famous. That fame actually allowed him to win even more battles, to conquer even more, to be even more successful. His reputation went before him. Now, probably not so ironically, God does the exact same thing with his son, a guy who went by the name of Solomon. Some of you are familiar with the story that goes with Solomon. God basically comes to Solomon. He says, Solomon, I'm going to give you anything that you ask for. What is it that you want? And Solomon, he thinks this over. And rather than asking for riches and rather than asking for fame, he decides instead to ask for wisdom. He decides, okay, if I get the wisdom that could only come from God, that is going to set me up for success. I think all of that other stuff will just happen to fall into place. And God rewards him. 
He rewards him for the fact that he sought wisdom and not riches and fame. And God says this, and I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame along with that wisdom. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. So so clearly, there's nothing inherently wrong with being famous. I mean, shoot, you can even make the case that Jesus himself became quite famous. After all, he's going around and he's healing the blind and he's curing the sick and he's giving these incredible sermons. He was famous and kind of hot news for you, he still is. You'd be hard-pressed even 2,000 years later to find someone who has never heard of Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with being famous, but the pursuit of fame, as every single one of us have experienced, as we have all observed, it can be quite dangerous, especially especially if you're someone who is also pursuing a relationship with Jesus. And here's why. But pursuing fame pulls your heart away from God and away from others and towards yourself. No one, I promise you this is the case, has ever pursued fame with exclusively pure motives. That there's always an element of this is going to be good for, well, me. That This is going to be good for numero uno. Or I could say this in another way. It's very difficult to be focused on others when so many are focused on you. Pursuing fame, it moves the trajectory away from God and away from others and towards yourself. Now, now that being said, and this is kind of where we're going to land the plane this morning, it's absolutely possible to use fame for good. I think arguably the person that modeled this best outside of Jesus himself was a guy who went by the name of John the Baptist. Now, quick kind of trivia question for those of you who aren't familiar with John the Baptist. What do John the Baptist and Chance the Rapper have in common? Anything? They have the same middle name. That's right. My church humor has been on fire lately. Now, John the Baptist, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, this is a guy uh, who came onto this earth shortly right before Jesus stepped onto the scene. And John the Baptist, I'll just call it how it is, he was kind of a weirdo. He was a lunatic. He was this guy who was living in the wilderness. I mean, his clothes was like animal skins. He was eating wild honey and wild locust insects. I mean, a really kind of a bizarre, strange-looking guy. But apparently, he was a pretty charismatic speaker and a pretty great leader. And therefore, he started to gain a following despite the fact that, again, he kind of looked like a lunatic. But rather than leveraging his notoriety, rather than leveraging his fame for himself, he, in fact, doesn't even try to share the spotlight because I do believe that if it was, you know, 21st century America and we had a guy like John the Baptist, it would be very, very tempting, yes, to turn some of the attention back to Jesus, but also use it to build your own platform and get a little notoriety for yourself on the side. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to point some people to Jesus, but I'm also going to kind of build my own brand. Instead, John the Baptist, he directs it all, all of it back to Jesus. In fact, in the first chapter of John, John being one of the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, John actually says these words. He says, though his ministry follows mine, I, speaking of himself, he's going, though his ministry, Jesus's ministry follows mine, I, John the Baptist, I am not even worthy. Think of the strength of these words. I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. In other words, I am nothing compared to Jesus. You think I'm something? You think I'm something special? Wait till you get a peek 
at Jesus. Wait till you get a peek at the guy who's coming after me. And and then later, a couple chapters after, he says something that, that, that I'm telling you, it should be the rallying cry for every single person who would identify as a Christian. John the Baptist says, he must become greater and greater. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus must become greater and greater and greater, and I must become less and less. When you show up, when you tune into Grumlaw, it is my prayer that you see more and more of Jesus and less and less of Shea Prisk. Because as a follower of Jesus, it has never, not for one second, been about me. It has never, not for one second, been about you. It has always been about the God of the universe who got off of his throne. Come on, think about this. Came down to this earth, took on the limitations of a mere mortal, then died for your sins, for my sins, then rose again because he so desperately wants to be close to you. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So two questions that I want to leave us with today. How do we actually live this out while living in a culture that glorifies me, that that glorifies fame? And and I would propose it's all about motive. So, So as we think about that motive, question number one, who are you representing? Who are you representing? When you show up, when you post, when you do that nice gesture, who are you representing? Now, now this is a, a bit of an embarrassing story. In fact, it's an extremely embarrassing story, almost to the point where I was like, I, I shouldn't share this, but whatever. I'll just kind of put myself out there. I, I was literally preparing this message a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was sitting in my office, and it had been a pretty long week. I had actually, that week, I had to prepare uh, two messages, give them both on camera. Like, it was just a, a busy, busy week. And, and I knew that at some point, uh, I was probably going to have to uh, work on this message at night. I was going to come home from work, uh, you know, play with my kids for a little bit, and then I'd put them to bed. And then, you know, I'd be in the kitchen by myself, kind of putting the finishing touches on this message that you are hearing uh, right now. And I literally, as I was in my office, (laughs) this is so embarrassing, I started daydreaming about that moment that was going to happen a couple hours where I was going to be working in the kitchen on my message, kind of in the dark of night, probably a single light over the dinner table. I'd be sitting there working on the message, and I literally thought to myself, (laughs) wouldn't it be so cool in that moment if my wife came around the corner, Andrea came around the corner, and she she saw me working so hard on this message, and she kind of snuck a picture of me, right? You kind of think of the glow of the screen on my face, one little light on top of me. She she took a picture, and then she posted, hey, something like, look at how hard my husband works for this church, and and she tagged me in it, and then I could share it in my story. I, I was literally, I was literally going through my mind. I mean, how pathetic is that? I'm literally writing a sermon about fame, and yet I'm daydreaming about how it would be nice if my wife used that moment to leverage my fame. Paul, in his early letter to the Christian church in Corinth, he puts it this way. He says, so we, as a follower of Christ, you are Christ's ambassadors. Go ahead and say ambassador right now. God is making his appeal through us. Think about that. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. An ambassador is the highest ranking official sent from one nation to another to represent the home territory. As a follower of Christ, you, yes you, you are the highest ranking official sent by Jesus himself, called to represent heaven, called to represent Jesus. 
Now, now real quick, I want to talk to those of you who are watching right now, and you're maybe new to this whole Christianity thing. You're maybe just starting to explore, or maybe somebody kind of bribed you to watch this morning. It is completely reasonable for you to think, well, what's so great about representing Jesus? In fact, and maybe you wouldn't admit this out loud, and again, I'm not even, you know, no judgment if you're thinking this right now. You might be thinking, I kind of like representing myself. I want to represent me. I want to pursue fame. In fact, I've seen a lot of people who are famous. Their lives seem pretty great. I don't really care about others. I don't really care about God. And again, you maybe wouldn't admit that out loud, but that's okay if that's going through your head. Here's the problem with that, though. It doesn't really matter how famous you get, how popular you become, how much notoriety you acquire. Because within about, let's just say, best case scenario, I'm going to be really generous here. Within about 50 years after you die, people aren't going to remember you. Nobody is going to be having a conversation about you. Except for that occasional family member who happens to stumble across a photo and then they share a quick story and move on, you will be largely forgotten. I know that has the ability to sound brutal, but it's true. And additionally, I know I'm sort of twisting the knife right now. All that fame that you acquired, all those followers, all the likes, all the approval, you're not going to be able to take any of it with you when you die. And even more so, think about this, none of it, none of it will matter exactly 0.01 seconds on the other side of eternity. But, and here's the really good news, Paul right here, he's reminding us that we have an opportunity to live our lives in such a way to leverage any amount of fame, any amount of influence, any amount of notoriety that we might receive in such a way that it all points back to him. That it all points back to Jesus. The name that is above all names. The name that has withstood the test of time like no other name in the course of human history. That the Savior who has an opportunity to not only change your life and change the lives around you, but will also change eternities, to to, to leverage every last lick of influence that you have as an ambassador for Christ, to be used as an instrument to point others back to him. Come on, I think that's a pretty good deal. So, So Christian or not, ask yourself the question, who am I representing? Because, come on, you and I, (laughs) we're not that special. And then question two, whose approval matters most? Whose approval matters most? Now, again, we all know the answer to this one because we happen to be watching church right now, and the answer is like, okay, uh, even if I don't totally agree with it, I'm pretty sure that he's looking for Jesus. The answer is Jesus. But again, even if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, let, let me explain why I want this so badly for you. See, when you stop living for the approval of man, and you begin to live your life for the approval of Jesus, it becomes, I'm telling you, one of the single most freeing exercises that you will ever experience. And here's why. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do to get God to love you more. And there's nothing you can do to get God to love you less. Which, mind you, this is almost impossible for us to comprehend. Because nowhere else in our lives do we experience this type of unadulterated, this type of unconditional love. But, but, but come on, 
real quick, come with me on a nice little mental journey. Can you even imagine how much more free your life would be? How much better your life would be if you really didn't care about the approval of man? If you really didn't care about the approval of people? That that, that instead you were so secure as a child of the Most High God that the only approval you really cared about was His. <laughs> and you just rested in the security of His love, the love that has already declared how crazy He is for you when He came and died for you. Come on, Christian or not, you know, you know that would be a better way to live. And let me tell you something, when you begin to rest in what He says about you, When you begin to rest in his approval, it becomes a whole lot easier. It becomes a whole lot more natural to declare he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Church, let's remember, we are not called to become famous. We're called to be faithful. Fame is self-seeking. Love is selfless. You want to leave a legacy that lasts far beyond what fame promises? I'm telling you, love like Jesus. And and come on, I I can promise you, less than one second on the other side of eternity, you will want your heavenly Father to look at you and say, not well done, my good and faithful superstar, but well done, my good and faithful servant. Following Jesus ain't about becoming a celebrity. It's a calling to become a servant. As followers of Jesus, we ain't living for the applause of the crowd. What we're living in the fulfillment that comes from the fact that your heavenly father showed you how much he loves you when he died for you. He must become greater and I must become less.